views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Latea Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Martin. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathea Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRN. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and this is um, Josh, Pastor Josh, with me here at the uh, table, and we are discussing a multitude of things today. And we start off with uh, looking in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 still, uh, and uh, in the Christ Factor. So in the book of Colossians, the, the Apostle Paul, specifically as he's dealing with the church at Colossae and, and particularly directing his thoughts towards what's happening with the uh, invasive teaching of Gnosticism that uh, the church has been dealing with. And so in his dialogue with the church through this letter, he's been discussing some things from a perspective which help people to understand at the church then who Jesus Christ is and because of who he is, where we are, as believers and so let's I just want to finish we we kind of we were at the tail end of a thought last week and we just want to finish up that thought um, and I guess I'll do that by starting uh, at verse 21 now once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, and this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So here he establishes that the condition of man was that we are alienated from God and that we are alienated from God because of our uh, behavior. Now, I- inter- interesting, he says, 
you were uh, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And it's interesting to note here that sin occurs first in the mind. And we are at enemies with we are enemies with God in how we think. And because we are enemies with God in how we think, it translates then into actions which follow the way that we think. Now this is evidenced by the Apostle Paul then saying in the book of Romans when he's addressing the church at Rome that um, after they are after they've confessed their sins, after they've uh, accepted the, the teachings of Christ, after they've been baptized and they're raised to walk a new life, what are they then to do? But they are to renew their thinking. They are to change the way that they think. Because the way you think is how you're going to follow. And here, because we, we think... Our thoughts uh, are evil. Our thoughts are directed towards self. The way that is acted out then is through behavior, which is evil in the sight of God. Now, so he then, now again, remember, he's talking to the church, the members of the church at Colossae, and he's, he's saying that, you know, you are reconciled, meaning that we have been reconciled through the blood of Christ on the cross. And we are presented holy to God without blemish and free from accusation because of the work of Christ on the cross. This is the position of the believer. This is the position that we are to stand firm upon and understand. Um, and then he goes on and he talks about, you know, uh, if you, he says, if you, which is conditional, it means, you know, um, the, the, I would take this, and you could go off in a lot of different avenues, but there are some people who would say, once saved, always saved. And we're not going to discuss that necessarily here, but the Apostle Paul makes the statement here, which is interesting, because he says, if you continue, not that you just accepted Christ at one time and you gave him, uh, you know, you gave him a, a nod, you gave him a wave, and then you continued in your behavior. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying that the believer has to evidence in his life that they, be, that they uh, continue in the faith and that they be established and firmed and they don't waver from the hope that we have that is in Christ. There's a lot that is packed in there because I, you know, I accepted Christ when I was 12 and I, I watched various individuals grow up as I grew up in the church because many of those that I participated with were churched, meaning that, uh, well, they were like my kids. They were churched. Mom and dad went to church. They grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up on the street. I grew up as a as a <laughs> as as a heathen. A delinquent. By the time I was by the time I was twelve years old, I was a full grown ingrained heathen. Yeah. In in how I thought, how I acted, what surrounded, and when I was redeemed 
all of those things were put to the side. But it used to fascinate me that there were those that claimed to know Christ but uh, didn't walk in that fashion. And the Apostle Paul paints an entirely different picture here. You want to add to? Yeah. Um, <coughs> when we look at this passage, and specifically in uh, 20, let's see, where is it? Where he talks about, oh, there it is, 21. This includes you who were once far away from God, who were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Um, Pastor Monty's talking about sort of the epistemology, where things come from, of evil. It's important to note, again, this proto-Gnostic viewpoint that there's a division between the spiritual self, the, the mental self, the emotional self, and the physical self. Physical is considered bad in this, in this Gnostic-type idea. And this is kind of where we're at now also, where as long as my actions, my in or as long as my intentions and emotions are validated, um, then everything is good because all that uh, my, my heart is good. And that is that's counter uh, counter normative to what scripture teaches, which is that our hearts are wicked at the outset, um, that they fall short of the glory of God. Um, I would argue even in perfection, they fall short of the glory of God. Uh, so this is, this is, you know, this is important because the reconciliation that occurs uh, touches not just the idea that we are to, um, that the physical side, which is a lot of what Colossians is talking about in the beginning, it doesn't just touch that the physical side is redeemed, um, but that also the evil that comes into this world is not from the physical, but is in the metaphysical side, and that our emotions and things need to be in check, and they need to be redeemed too. In other words, we don't just need to get in touch with our with who in in touch with who we are in our inner self to find redemption. Redemption needs to take place uh, transformatively on the inside of man before it takes place on the outside of man. Yes, the other thing that I'll note is just it's kind of hard in this Western culture that we when we talk about this, this this is not a Western idea um, of heart and mind and so on and so forth. Right. When we hear mind here, we we as Westerners make a distinction between the rational and the irrational. So we think to ourselves that the mind is the rational side and um, is kind of the sciency side of things. But in Jewish culture, where this was written, the mind and the heart are fairly synonymous with each other. Um, so this is, this is what this is talking about is the inner person, all of the inner person, the, the things that we call wisdom, the things that we call even science and, and uh, thoughts, rational thoughts. It's all connected um, in in the Jewish culture that this is being written to. Um, well, not even Jewish, in the Eastern culture. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah so th there are several places in Scripture which remind us that that it is the, the thought process that gets us into trouble. Um, you know, Romans, as I said, Romans chapter 12, 
you know, we're instructed to be, to, uh, you know, act according to the renewing of our mind. Uh, James, the book of James, where it talks about, you know, how we, how we carry things out and, and, uh, and where sin begins. And sin begins when, you know, based upon how we think. Mm-hmm. And then once you think a particular way, then it, that's what drives you and, and uh, causes you to act. Uh, we even on the spiritual side, we even see this, for example, when we talk about, uh, and we're not going to go in depth here at all, um, although Pastor Josh has an excellent book that he's written that really defines our, our view on it, but, but uh, when we talk about spiritual gifts and we talk about how uh, the body, the in, within the body of Christ, people that are driven by a spiritual, by a particular spiritual gift, that that uh, that sets a tone for how they approach things in life, uh, by how they view things and how they think about things because of their uh, because of their spiritual gift even. So the how we think about God, how we understand God, how we how we view God, these are important things to keep in mind. And I agree with Josh that that you hear so many people today that they. You know, they, they say, well, you know, I intended to do good. I mean, they want to place the emphasis upon intention without being, uh, without, with, with, with being free from consequence of action. Sure. And Scripture doesn't approach things that way. Scripture approaches things that there are, you know, you need to start with the renewing of your mind. You need to start uh, dwelling on God and thinking on God. You need to learn God's ways. You need to see things from God's perspective. Well, I think when we look at counseling, um, one of the things that I come across a lot is people saying that they intended to do good, but really they just intended to not do bad. And there's a difference between the two. Um, right, one's passive, one's not. Yeah, n- not doing bad is just neutral, right? Like right. I, I intend to be neutral. Doing good is intending to be positive and there's and positive meaning productive not positive meaning to feel good right and there's a difference between the two and and i think a lot of times and and this is what um like i think isaiah was talking about um i think it's isaiah when when he talks about the state of the heart maybe it's jeremiah i can't remember off the top of my head but uh where he talks about you know the wickedness of the heart um I think it's Jeremiah who says that he is unclean to utter, to even utter the words, uh, that his mouth is unclean. Right. Um, this is, this is the distinction is that people, is that people often lie to themselves. They think that because their intent is to be neutral, that it's the same thing as intending to do good, uh, intending to be righteous. And that it's a wholly, completely different standard to to seek to be righteous and to do right by God and to act in his moral standard versus to not rock the boat. And that's what, you know, so they'll say, well, I, 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 I thought I was intending to do good. Well, were you really? Because the majority of people who are intending to do good actually do good. Um, oftentimes what we find when we're unpacking the problems that a person has 
when I'm counseling them and I'm unpacking these problems that they're having, what I'm finding, what we're unearthing is that on some level, they weren't intending to do good. They were just intending to not rock the boat. And the lack of boldness toward doing what is good led them to um, doing the opposite. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so for the so for the believer, what what I guess what I'd like you to take away from our our, our uh, looking at, at this section of, of the writing of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians is this, that, that, um, that a, as believers, our focus needs to be on, on learning what God's perspective is in regard to life. You know, th- we're talking physicals, uh, we're talking, you know, your family, we're talking, we're talking relationships with it, with others and within the church. You know, what is God's perspective? Yeah, we have plenty of what of man. What is man's perspective? It's all around us, and and uh, it's it's terribly flawed. And when we yield to uh, man's perspective, then the consequence of that is that uh, our life is chaotic and unproductive. And you know, we're not. What we're talking about is is the church not only understanding the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that we're under the shed blood of Christ, but that he would have the church to be um, holy and productive in how it is that we live because we bring a perspective of, of that holiness and righteousness of God to how we approach life. That's what he would want from us. Yeah. And that means not making excuses. That's yeah, absolutely. R- that's what it comes down to. Uh, we're reading in a Bible study that we have here at the church with some of the men. There's a, we're reading First John right now, and First uh, John, like John, just comes straight out and says, "If you don't keep my commandments, if you don't keep the commandments of Christ, then you're a liar about right. your relationship with Christ." And mm-hmm. I think that that is. It's offensive, right? The message is offensive, um, and it's incredibly pertinent to this idea that um, we just got to find the good within us. You know, that's not true. Right. It uh, on the outset, it's not true. Even as a Christian, it's not true. Like as a Christian, there's no good that is innate to me. Right. There is a good within me, but that's not innate to me. It's a privilege to carry that in my relationship with God who then um, who then works in conjunction with me and pilots, you know, uh, co-pilots m- my life, basically, um, where I get everything from him and I submit to him and he lives in me and redeems who I am. But the truth is, if he is not writing with me and giving me directions, I am going to suffer the wages of my sin right i'm going i i i veer and trend toward ruining things without him so it's not me just because there is good in me like in the car with me or whatever it's him and uh there this proto-gnostic idea which now is like full-blown gnostic essentially or post-gnostic if you even want to say that it's still it's in that um spectrum that you know i gotta find the good within me i need to be my best self i need to like all of these things you know 
Christ, the, the I need to find my Christ consciousness and mm-hmm, be in touch mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. with the universe and all. The, no, that's not that's not biblical and it's not true. And quite frankly, will leave you lost. Um, Pastor Monty, you know, said that we're not going to go deep into once saved, always saved, or really touch on that. I just want to point out if you who are watching want us to talk about a specific topic. Um, we're open to that. Yes. So uh, maybe we can do a special sometime if you've got like a question you want us to tackle, even if it's just like a 15-minute you know, discussion or something. We can go deeper into those topics if you're interested. So um, you can put it in the comments if that's something of interest to you. Yeah, absolutely. So next week we'll go ahead and we'll uh, pick up where the Apostle Paul uh, now is addressing his participation in this process as a, as a servant of Christ. Let's uh, move on and let's talk uh, in our next uh, section uh, about relationships. So we've been talking about the relationship that exists between husband and wife, and and, uh, we've taken a little bit of time to to, uh, unpack a little bit the, the issues surrounding what makes a dynamic relationship and what is the ideal uh, in regard to uh, a relationship husband with husband and wife and uh, what we actually come, most people come to the table with. And there is an ideal, uh, and, and I say ideal not in the sense that it's not attainable, but ideal that it's, it's uh, a standard which is high above where most people are at. That would be my meaning. So, and uh, I know from my own personal struggles and just from, from dealing with people and, and helping try people try to understand this dynamic that uh, it's something which, which uh, takes a lot of work. So we've talked about the fact that the relationship now that exists between husband and wife, and remember the, br- the broader context is that God has created us as, uh, as people of relationship. So we have a relationship with, with um, surprisingly, if you think about it, and <laughs> our desire is that you do think about it, um, you know, we have a relationship with everything. You have a relationship with everything. You have a relationship with, with uh, inanimate objects. You have a relationship with food. You have a relationship with your children. Uh, you have a relationship with uh, pets. Money. Money. Um, I mean, we, we, we were designed by God to be a people of relationship. And what we're seeking to do is to say that, that there, again, there is God's perspective on what that looks like. We've got a whole slew of uh, books and television shows and and uh, sitcoms and the water cooler stuff, uh, all that stuff, talking about relationships uh, from the world's perspective. But we get very little, at least I don't remember getting very much information provided to me about what a, uh, a relationship, a wholesome relationship is. And that's the reason why we're exploring this. You mean with other things? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we... <laughs> we we haven't talked about it yet, but you you even have a relationship with yourself. Sure. And you know we're we're going to touch on that uh, down the road a piece, not right now, but uh, a lot of what you do or don't do sometimes is defined by your relationship with yourself. 
I think the reason why we have that issue is because we tend to create silos for ourselves. It's easier as finite beings. It's easier to, or it seems easier to compartmentalize yes. and not live holistically. Yeah. So even the term relationship, you know, we, we keep that in the realm of person, you know, we don't keep that. We don't, you know, apply it across the board. I don't have a relationship with, with, you know, this book I'm reading, but the truth is, is that you do because you're a relational person. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're, so we're trying to, uh, allow some, uh, some perspective for how that works. And so we've been talking about the, uh, probably the most influential relationship that we have as created beings, and that is the relationship that exists between husband and wife. And we've talked about that this is a relationship that is, first of all, is ordained by God, and that it is normative, and, and uh, God ordained it to be a good thing. Um, but that said, sin has kind of complicated it a little bit. Well, a lot. And so that's what we're talking about. So we, so we kind of established the mainstay. And now what I wanted to do uh, over the next couple of weeks is unpack then some of the issues surrounding um, what, what makes relationships difficult and what could be helpful then. And so, uh, and because once you get into this situation where you're now going to have what is considered to be the defining relationship of your life, the world may see divorce is okay, and the world may see separation is okay, and the world may, uh, you know, sanction that okay. But, but from God's perspective, that relationship that you establish between husband and wife is supposed to be uh, for the entirety of life. Right. Um, and and so because of that, that means that you need to start unpacking things. So one of the I think for, for me, I've, I've given this some thought, and I think the first place to talk about is the idea that the individual that we're having, uh, this, this uh, primary individual that we're having a relationship with, uh, is, a, uh, is a valuable creation of God. Okay. And, and, that, and, that, and that because of that, because I recognize that my... My uh, spouse is a valuable creation of God that I need to uh, treat. In my case, I'll just say her. If you're a, if you're a woman, you're thinking about your husband, then him. But but uh, you need to treat her as the individual that God created her to be, and not try to and not try to put her into uh, some type of a box that you've created because you think that that's where uh, he or she needs to be. And most people that enter into relationships, what they, they don't appreciate the individual for who they are as individuals. Yeah. And so, so now you're talking about having a philosophy of man and understanding the makeup of an individual and, and, uh, you know, the different thinking and perspective. Well, it really, I think, again, we go back to that silo premise, and I think really what it comes down to is a lot of people, unfortunately, enter into a relationship with each other, not because they uh, found an another image bearer of God with whom they want to partner in their relationship with God in, 
they want to create covenant in that but right. instead they found a object with which to satiate whatever urge desire or deficit that they have mm-hmm. and that's where relationships become um difficult is when that person becomes unable to fill whatever gap that is largely it's a couple different ones you know it's um, an emotional gap because the person is insecure because of how they've been raised and how they walked through their trust cycles as they were developing uh it's a it's a financial gap you know where it's like a person feels insecure because they have a need you know they can't live without it and uh you know the last one would be um like a sexual gap you know that they 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 crave relationship specifically because they want to be i don't know validated physically they want you know they want that touch um none of those things are in and of themselves bad per se um you know to want to be touched sexually to want to have financial stability to want to be uh, validated by another image bearer none of those things are bad per se but when you put when you ascribe something like that a finiteness um or when you ascribe something like that which has an infinite like starting point validation and and uh, security and um and uh, affection you know to something that's finite it will never be able to fulfill that um you know it can fulfill it for a time but it can never really fulfill that so you're going to be left wanting the the uh, the other point i would bring up is your relationship with your spouse is really something that needs to be taught from the starting point of uh, from uh, starting point of womanhood and manhood um because it, it your relationship with your spouse actually predates meeting them sure ideally in the home is where yeah. you begin preparing yourself yeah it predates meeting your spouse yes, you, know, you should yeah, be praying for them being faithful to them even without having met them right so on and so forth right so the so the uh so what we're saying is is that w- then when you come to that position where you meet somebody and you're going to establish this relationship with this individual um it 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 means a couple of things and one of the things that it means is that your relationship this individual needs to be needs to be that you are accepting of of who God is uh, in that individual and how God created that individual and we've talked before about the fact that you know we're all we're all uh, a bundle of uh, of approaches and things. Uh, some we have things that we learn. We have things that are natural. Um, by the way, this this acceptance is something that should go with every relationship. So, like when we talk, for example, about um, you know uh, children. And understanding the dynamics of each child as a child grows, and you see them develop in particular ways. You have you may have one child which is uh, exceptionally gifted, uh, and uh, you may have another child that uh, the elevator doesn't seem to go to the top. Mm-hmm. And each <laughs> each each one of those children are unique within themselves and need to be appreciated as such in the same way when you come to 
a spouse and you come to this individual that you're establishing a relationship with, one of the things that you need to learn is you need to learn who that individual is, what, how God has gifted them, uh, where they're at in that maturation process, and appreciate them for that rather than lock the, try to lock them into a box of who you think they are. So I guess my question in that is uh, how would you say you appreciate the individual as the image bearer of God and that is unique to how God made them while at the same time um, pushing them to grow into that that person fully while not giving them uh, while not enabling negative behaviors that now they've assumed are a part of their identity right well because that happens that's something you know in the culture like it's my identity you're not validating me you're not giving me you know you're you're gaslighting me well part of it has to be that there has to be an ongoing discussion between the two of you I mean, where you actually talk with each other about, you know, your likes or dislikes. But let's take, for example, let's say, um, so let, let's take something you're, you're very familiar with, which is uh, okay. art. Okay. So let's take art. So if you understand that, that your spouse is really inclined towards art, uh, now I'm not. I'm not an artist. I'm, I'm lucky I can do a, a stick figure. Okay. Um, but, but my... <laughs> But, but my wife is, uh, is very gifted as an artist, and, uh, and, and, uh, and you, as, as my uh, son, are disgustingly gifted as an artist. I will give myself a shameless plug. If you <laughs> want to take a look at my art, you can go to two places, joshmccary.com, or you can go to projectnico.org. Which is, uh, which is a collective of artists at our church. So one of the ways that I would appreciate how God made my wife then uh, in her art and encouraging her to develop that is, first of all, underst- uh, understanding what she needs in order to be able to develop that. So you just can't say that somebody, you know, that, uh, you know, Wow, you're an artist. That's cool. That's you know, um, you know they need to have uh, drawing pads. They need to have pencils. They need to have they uh, need tools. Tools. They need to have art. They need to have canvas. They need to have you know uh, a place set aside where they can have quiet time or whatever. They, and so one of the ways that you can encourage that for that individual is to invest in that uh, with them and for them uh, to help them develop that. Yeah, I. Just speaking from experience as an artist, um, you know, like expression is a huge aspect of of what we do as artists. And I want to share in that expression with the people that I love the most, you know, but that's not always possible. It's not people receive information differently. Um, They value things differently and they're not always going to to like it. My wife is not she's not uh, artistic the way that I am. And there have been moments in my like frailty as a human being where it's been difficult for me because I want to express the things that I make with her. And she I get the impression (laughs) that she's tolerating the things that I make as opposed to like 
being like, oh, that's super cool, you know, like, and wanting those things. And I've had some moments where I've been really frustrated because I'm not getting that validation um, from her. And I'm wanting to genuinely share with her. And in those moments, one of the things that was helpful for me, that's been helpful for me, is for her to gently and lovingly remind me that her not batting an eye at me buying the things that I need to to val to to bring my art into existence and taking the time to do that and even um, directing our kids for instance to uh, to do art with me and because they're artistic too and making sacrifices so that we can do those things even though that's not something that she personally finds value in she she like finds value in um, more academic type things you know right, she's right. a nutritionist and she likes studying those things for her it is so her like giving me those things and making sacrifices in the way that she can is her validating those things um, but it's not the easiest it's not the easiest to uh, it takes maturity to be able to 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 meet yeah you you enter into a uh a dialogue about it, you work it out, you try to discuss it. See, that's what a healthy relationship would do, uh, appreciating the individual that you're with. Uh, you know, my wife and I just had uh, a discussion recently because she she's uh, visualizing something that she wants done, but she doesn't, uh, but, but guess who's going to have to be the one to construct it? And what I need is uh, I need uh, measurements. I need, yeah. you know, a, a blueprint. And she's, but I, and she's telling me, but I, I visualize, you know, the 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 four most dangerous and frightening words that my wife speaks to me is, um, "Honey, I've been thinking." <laughs> oh it's boy, it's a dangerous pastime. Oh boy, here we go. So anyway, so so, so uh, understanding. Uh, how your spouse is made, then, understanding the gifts that they have and <laughs> discussing it with them, encouraging them in it, and helping them uh, develop in cultivate those. Cultivate it, yeah. Yeah, to cultivate it is, is, uh, is, is, a, is a fantastic dynamic to a positive relationship. Well, and, I, and I'll just throw out there that you might find, and I believe that we're designed this way in our partnerships, you might find that... Um, your partner has something that you're lacking in terms of being able to do that. Like I said, my wife is a lot more academic than I. She's definitely smarter than me. I don't think so. she's wiser. <laughs> she wouldn't say this on the program, so maybe she, yeah, she is. She doesn't listen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's definitely smarter than me. And... Um, the thing that is interesting about her is that she always finds a way to incorporate my talent into the things that we do. Yeah. And vice versa. That's what I try to do, too. I try to remember, you know, she's got a more organized brain, a more academic brain. So I try to come to her when I need those things rather than thinking of her as that academic in the corner that, you know, can't express herself properly, um, <laughs> you know, as if we're the same person. And I've really come to value her not being the same as me. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to continue this discussion next week and continue <laughs> to unpack this a little bit. As you might understand as we discuss this, it is r really a very large subject. 
Yeah. And and we're just trying to do it justice to, to open your your uh, eyes and some thinking. So let's uh, move on to our next segment as the time is not standing still. And we decided that we're going to uh, we're going to change the name of this segment uh, from uh, what's your take to uh, what did we decide, Josh? What would what'd you call it? Here's what's up. Oh, here's what's up. Yeah, here's what's we're up. We're workshopping it. Yeah, we're yeah we're we're batting some things around, but we're gonna go with here's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like there, it. I like there, that. There, that works. there may be some truth to that. So we've been batting around the the uh, trying to put a handle on what what our desire is for this or what my desire is for this segment and and my desire really is um, grounded in my desire for the church and it has always been my conviction that the uh, the, the scripture tells us particularly in Thessalonians which we've gone through. Um, in uh, tells us that uh, during the end times, that one of the difficulties that the church is uh, is going to d- have to address is that uh, is the issue of apostasy, and and that and that there is a, a a need for vigilance in understanding what is going on, not only in our Christian walk. You remember in Colossians, the apostle Paul said, "What if?" If you stand firm, if you continue, if you stand firm, if you, you know, are strengthened in your faith, then, you know, the product of that is going to be that you're going to have, you know, a dynamic walk with God. But but there are many people who say that they are Christians, and you know how I hate that term, but uh, they say that they are Christians, but they don't act or walk or live or... or uh, do anything in their life which associates them with Christ. And the world around us, and Scripture also tells us that the world around us is going to be overcome by sin and that eventually there's going to be a battle that takes place between Christ and his church and the uh, and the evil of the world around us. More like a judgment. Well, it will be a judgment for sure. But I mean, it's not really. A, it's like a. It's the comeuppance. It's a, there's going to be a slaughter that's going to happen. Yeah, if you read the book of Revelation where it depicts who Christ is when he comes back, uh, he doesn't come back as a meek, lowly servant. As a little baby Jesus in a gold diaper. No, <laughs> he comes back with a sword on a char on a white charger. A sword coming out of his mouth. Magnificent. It's just a wonderful thing. So go go to the book of Revelation and read that. So because of that, there are things happening around us which I just feel that there is a need to make you aware of and uh, for us to have some familiarity of things that are going on. So last week we talked about... So here's what's up. Yeah, so here's what's up. Last week we talked about what's going on with uh, with Russia under the leadership of uh, lifelong president Putin. Is that how that works? Yeah, he no, he made himself lifelong president. Nice. A couple of years ago. It's very Julius Caesar of him. Well, not you know, not only did he do that, but uh, uh, Xi Jinping did that as well. You know, in China, you know. So <laughs> so they've made themselves little emperors and uh, Putin did not like 
when the USSR was broken up after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse in 1991, the collapse of the USSR. The USSR is a little bit different than Russia. And, and he didn't like the fact that after 1991, all of these, these uh, um, the falling apart of the USSR created all these little, these little pockets of people that right. wanted to govern themselves and be their own country. So, you know, for example, the Ukraine, for example, Crimea, Uzbekistan, and, and just on down. Does that go as far out? There are like 15 different, uh, there are 15 different uh, countries that came out of that. Does that go as far out as Hungary? Yeah, I, I believe so. They were on the outskirts of, yeah, I of believe communist so. Russia. So what Russia is saying at this point, what Putin is, specifically Putin, what Putin is saying is that he didn't like that, and if he had his way, he would try to restore the USSR to its former glory. He wants to make he wants to make Russia great again. Uh, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> and so that's the reason why when when Obama, when President Obama was in office, what did uh, what did Putin do? He invaded Crimea. Okay. And 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 segmented a portion of Crimea. Now, uh, two days ago, he declared that uh, certain parts of the Ukraine uh, are not really Ukrainian but want to be Russian. Mm -hmm. And so he declared their independence for them. Right. <laughs> so that, I so like the spin. Yeah, so that he could, uh, you know, so that he could go in and save these people whom he has declared. Right, he wanted to liberate them. Yeah. From the from yeah. their oppressive freedom, right. So what he does is he provides a a, a, a pretext for him to be able. Yeah, that to sounds act. that sounds a lot like uh, living in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, the state and has declared that we well, and that we means we need to be freed from our freedom of governing ourselves. So and that leads us into our next section that I just want to consider before we close this. And remember, we're we're just helping you to understand some of the things. Or what's up? If you've been going on, if you've been watching the last year and a half of what's going on in the United States, and now in Canada, yes, Canada, under uh, Justin Trudeau, mm -hmm. um, w there was a the the truckers in in Canada were were fed up with the uh, vaccine and mask mandates for the truckers. And so they decided to uh, have a convoy and to go to Ottawa and to protest by not moving any freight, not, you know, they're just saying we're, we're not invaluable. What, what Trudeau has done is he has invoked a little-known act, which is like 20 years or so old, that basically says if these people are defined as uh, seditious and as terrorists, that he can then do whatever he wants to in how to take care of them. Mm. And so he has done that. Instead of saying these people are protesting and that they have a legitimate complaint and as a leader I want to hear what they have to say and we should work through it, he's saying no. I've declared that this is what we have to do, and anybody who opposes me is is a traitor, is seditious, is a terrorist, 
and I can take whatever action I have to, to uh, by the state in order to uh, take care of them. We started to see this in Canada when during the uh, lockdown that took place in Canada, just that took down in the United States, he even um, demanded that the churches be closed. Yeah. And that people were not allowed to yeah. even worship. They've been doing, they've, Canada in particular has been doing this for a long time. There's a, I mean, they, they don't have freedom of speech. I mean, America is really the only place that actually has freedom of speech, you know, and it's written into its laws, but they don't actually have freedom of speech. No, no. So what they've done now is they, so how they're dealing with these truckers is they're confiscating their property. Mm-hmm. Their, their, uh, the property their of the truck the companies. No, 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 the trucks, the end of the taking the trucks. Right, so the property of the trucking. Well, some well, of these so are independent truckers. Yeah, but are they are they also taking the uh, the stuff they're hauling? Everything. Because I imagine that would cause some issues with like companies and stuff. They're taking the trucks. They're taking their. They're canceling their insurance. Uh huh. They're closing their bank accounts and any assets that they have. Well, they're terrorists, you know. Yeah, well, and that's my point. They're redefining them as seditious. And as terrorists. Now, you might say, well, that's happening in Canada, and they're kind of crazy up there, you know, those uh, Canucks up there. Um, but I would point out to you that they're doing the same thing here as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, For example, those people that protested the, um, the way that the election was done um, and they felt that they had a right to at least say, we think that this is not right and we want it to be addressed. They, so they, they, all they did was occupy uh, the Capitol building. They, there were, there were no, they weren't. Are you talking about the January 6th protest? Yes, January 6th. They based, so if you listen to the spin on the left coming out of uh, President Biden's administration, these people were seditious. They were committing acts of terrorism. I don't know. I don't know. I, y- well, they've been put in, in, and so because of that, here's my point, Josh, and you can, you don't know, but look it up. Um, no, that's not. I, uh, they I don't have need to look it up. I, I've looked at. I've looked at it too. They <laughs> have put into place the uh, to treating these people as terrorists to the point that they have even suspended the writ of habeas corpus and have not charged many of them and instead of thrown them into a prison where they're basically uh, waiting to be tried uh, on a trespassing charge. Okay. Trespass. Well, I mean, I, you and I would disagree, I think, about the way that they handled their protests. I don't see anything different. So I... So we we live in Portland, Oregon. That's where the that's where the church is, and we had a whole bunch of protests going on here, right? That they call protests, but really they're riots and so on and so yes, forth. Yes, that's right? correct. Yeah, I don't see much of a difference between. There is a difference. So I don't see much of a difference between the Capitol riots and the protests here in Oregon. Oh, there's a major difference. The major difference being violence. Okay. Well, Des- there was destruction I mean, of I've property. S- I've seen the videos. There were no. There was no violence. I've s- okay. I've seen the videos of what was going on. There was a commission put in place to study this, Josh, and there was no violence. 
they can they have not been able to produce one iota of of evidence that there was any violence. Not only that, the only person who was shot and and hurt during this process was an unarmed veteran who was shot by a Capitol Police officer and he was not charged or held accountable for killing this woman in cold blood. You don't think that breaking in is violence? You don't think that it's the Capitol, Josh. It's there. If you watch the videos, which are available, I've seen the videos. Okay, then you know that the police just told them, "Come on in, come on in." So they came in, they sat down, they talked, you know. But they didn't do anything violent. No. Okay. But, but the only thing they could charge them with was trespass. And yet their rights were suspended because what they've sought to do is to paint them as terrorists, to paint them as seditious. I think they are terrorists. Not all of them. They're not. Not all of them, but I think that they they are terrorists. What I don't understand is why that is uh, a problem. (laughs) Bear with me. I don't understand why that's a problem. You know, like, there's a fine line between patriot and terrorist, and America is built on the idea of the people trying to, you know, make m- their voice heard. Sure. Yeah. Boston so, Tea Party. Yeah. You. S- bet. So that is. So for me, that's what confuses me. It. I have no problem with them being labeled terrorists by a government that disagrees with them because that's the nature of government. But that's not how this government is supposed to be operating, and more importantly, all of the individuals that come in contact with the government should be treated on an equal basis. That's fine, but that's also, you can say that's not how the government's supposed to operate, but that's also not how citizens are supposed to operate either. They weren't just occupying. They went in there with force. Yes, there were police who were complicit in it, but, or uh, capital capital police who were. The capital police. There were some capital police who were complicit in it. Who encouraged them to come in. They went in with force, trying to usurp the way the government runs. Well, that's not necessarily accurate either. We're, you know, we may disagree on some of the things that are being presented. I'm just confused why it's... I'm, 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 well, I'm confused why it's a big deal in a country that encourages that and was born out of it. Okay, the big deal at this point is that what, the, what we are seeing happening uh, now by individuals that are on the far left in their ideological thinking is that they are saying that just because you hold a different opinion that they do and they're in control, that you are a white supremacist, you are a terrorist, right. I'm you just are saying, seditious. Uh, right, but that's, uh, that's fine, and, and, and I agree so, with that. I just think that's a bad example. Because in doing so, they're, they, they're, they're stripping people of their rights. Look, if somebody came into your home, if I came into your home, I'm your child, right? So we're, we're family. If I came into your home and occupied it and told you this is how it's going to be, even if I use no violence, that's a terrorist act. Um, I just think it's a bad. It's a terrorist. That's a bad example it's because you would never do that. Nor that's would not you the allow point. Allow me to do that. That's not the I point. I would not allow you to do that. Why? Why? Because I have two guns and I know how to use them. Okay, so then you would say that it's an imminent threat worth violence. I would say that uh, you would treat it as an imminent threat, like even just basically what you said. You would treat it as an imminent threat, as if I was 
terrorizing if, as if I was a terrorist against the way of life, which you have a right to define. That to me is very different. Well, the law defines it. That's fine. But that you have the right to interpret its definition, whatever. That to me is very different than what you're talking about with Canada. Like I, I just think that that's a, a bad example. I think what you're, s I think the point that you're making about Canada, is an important point. And I think that carries over to what we see. So just for you to be aware of, um, these things are going on all around you, and and uh, there are attempts by some to paint Christians as those who are um, as those who are on the far right in their thinking and therefore they are uh, seditious and and seeking to undermine society as well well but they are that's the <laughs> they are like just just be aware uh, just be aware um, things are getting uh, heated up substantially Let's close this section and talk a little bit about um, what's up with that. Well, as a matter of public service, um, I want to talk about the uh, state troopers uh, in uh, Pennsylvania who um, looked up uh, in, in time as they were driving down the highway to see a, a, a tire uh, rolling rapidly towards them uh, and basically uh, took out the car. So have you ever been driving behind somebody and they've got all kinds of loose stuff all over and there's things don't look like they're tied down very well and things can come flying off of there? You know, the Department of Transportation requires that if you're carrying any type of a load, you, as the one who is carrying the load, uh, the truck driver, vehicle driver, whatever, like you people that like to throw stuff in a pickup truck and then uh, not leave it latched down, if it comes off and happens to hit somebody or kill somebody, you can be charged with manslaughter. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a very serious thing. So, but this, 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 uh, in Pennsylvania, this pol uh, police cruiser happened to catch uh, on the video cam the tire coming at them full bore, and uh, it did substantial. They weren't hurt, but it did substantial uh, damage to the cruiser. And uh, for me personally, I I drive a lot of miles, and when I am following somebody or I'm aware of somebody in front of me that doesn't have things tied down correctly. That one really resonated with you? I move out of their way. I move out of their way. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> that, seemed, that seemed more like therapy than what's up with that. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting, you know, what's up with that, that they even had to deal with that. Um, now, you know, the church has been looking at options for how to, how to uh, maximize their living situation, and I know that, uh, you know, we've been talking about small homes and RVs and all kinds of different things. Okay. You know, small homes don't always work, though. Uh, in Michigan, a uh, family came home from being on vacation, and they think this happened between, uh, like, the Thanksgiving period or whatever, 
but they came home from being on vacation to their small home, which is like, you know, just a 12 foot by 28 foot, you know, small home. Uh-huh. And uh, it hadn't been broken into. The whole house was stolen. Interesting. <laughs> they, they, they came home to their small home and someone yeah, jacked it was their tiny and they home. just jacked it and loaded it and took off with it. That is the world wow. we live in. That is that is tough. Were they able to get it back? Nope, still haven't found it. It's crazy. So who who knows where it's at? But uh, the idea I like the idea of small homes, but but there is a there is an issue there, and unfortunately, these people, you know, you just have to cr- shake your head and go, "Wow, what's up with that?" Yeah. Why would people do that to somebody? Yeah, that's really bad. Yep. Okay. The last one I got. Uh, Those are both real bummers. What do you got for the third one? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, for the thir- my third one is uh, kind of a cultural thing. Okay. For you guys, in, and particularly for the the young people at church here, you guys are into food courts and all that type of stuff. Okay. Um, you know, there's uh, food, food courts are in a mall. Uh, where th- uh, in Oregon we have food pods that basically have lots of food carts. Yeah, they group together and yes. Yes. they have, and there's there's several of them, and and you know it's just like eating in a restaurant except you're eating outside. The prices aren't any better because it's a food cart, and uh, but they are regulated. They are regulated by the state, and they have to have food handler cards and go through inspections and all that type of stuff. So they're perfectly safe uh, for you to uh, eat at these. But anyway, there's a, a food cart uh, gallery, as it were, that is in Oregon City. Okay. And in order for them to advertise their food cart gallery deal, they have uh, constructed and put up a forty no a 37-foot fork. In Oregon City? Yeah, in Oregon City. And and they It's a cart pod, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's a That's the term when you have lots of food carts together, yeah. we call it a pod. Yeah, it's a they call it a plaza, but interesting. Yeah, 37 foot fork. Is it does it set like a record? Like is it one of those well, things where you know, somebody will drive through and be like I need to see the world's largest fork? they're trying to get certified by the Guinness Book of World Records that it is a Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So I mean, it makes me want to go there. Yeah, so if you happen to be, you know, in Oregon City, uh, you know, you can uh, look this up and check it out. Okay. Okay, that's all I got. Well, okay, so let me let me just jump back in terms of um, that conversation about Canada and just say that there's about 4,000 pastors uh, the last big thing there was this bill called C4. Yeah. And there's yeah. about 4,000 pastors who signed um, like a dissenting argument with that. And a, a, a decent amount have been on the uh, – they're like worried about giving sermons and so on and so forth. Um, so John MacArthur, who's a pastor uh, – in California. Yeah, big church in California. Um, yeah, Grace Grace Community, I think is what it's called. Uh, he's been doing some work with that. He, like, uh, helped them, like, pen, pen uh, um, their letter. Yeah. So um, he's been doing some work with that. So if you want to know more about how to pray for those pastors, 
um, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are dealing with open and active persecution, yes. who now are going to be viewed as um, enemies of the state by the state. And this is why I said that earlier for the record, like they are enemies of the state. It's just the state's finally recognizing it. But um, if you want to pray for them who are actively having to deal with that just across the border, then uh, please do. There's 4,000 pastors who were bold enough to sign this statement basically painting a target on their backs. Yes, yes. Then on top of it, you can go to John MacArthur's um, uh, church uh, and his research and so on and so forth and look for ways to support them. Um, But please do that because what Pastor Monty's talking about is actively affecting Christians who are right next to us and who um, are entering a new phase of persecution on this side of the world that will be coming down the pipeline to us. Yeah. Like all this stuff that we're talking about now is um, stuff that within the next maybe 10 years we are going to have to deal with. Like we are automatically canceled. <laughs> so anyway, just prayer for those, those Christians. It does affect you eventually and it is affecting them now so again uh, check out john macarthur's um ministry and look it up the bill that you can look up is called c4 you just type in canada bill c4 and you can look it up there's tons of news articles about how christians are being affected there uh so there's just that a plug for like doing more than just listening yeah um you good yeah all right so If you want to be a part of the VRN and what we're doing here, you can join us on our Facebook page where you can get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, which is the last Saturday. Is that this week? Yeah? All right. Culture Insanity is uh, 9. Oh. Oh, that's that's my watch talking. Um, (laughs) Culture Insanity is going to be this week at 9 o'clock. So you can get access to shows like that. There is the Bible with Pastor Adam that happens. We are doing our weekly sermon series, which is always available. There's all sorts of goodies like that. Uh, But if you've enjoyed us, consider supporting us. Our networking shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. You can head over to abfpdx.org and click on the Donate tab. Um, Anything will help us. And as long as you like, subscribe, that'll help us too. Um, As... Yeah, that'll always that'll help us too. I'm, I was looking for an organic way to throw in there to smash that like button, but it just didn't make sense. Uh, so, yeah, take a second to visit the group page so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. Remember, for us, that content is going to be shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. So, we will see you the next time. Oh, wait a second. Uh, I might not be around next week. So maybe not next week. We'll see. But we'll see you next time at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer. Nope, I'm reading an old script. Wow. (laughs) Man, I'm having a hard time today. Okay, your co-host and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Late Hill Bible Fellowship.